0: Chapter study through the book of Luke, Lord willing, time willing. We're going to do verses 13 through 35 today, which puts us puts us in good distance to get Luke done next week. So if you weren't with us last couple weeks, just a quick recap. We had Christ being on trial, and after his trial, he was then sentenced to death. And we talked about the crucifixion of Christ a couple weeks ago and what that means and what that represents for us and salvation of our sins. Last week, what we did is Christ's burial at the end of chapter 23, but then most importantly, his resurrection in Luke chapter 24 and the importance of the empty tomb. Well, what we have here today is a fun little story about Christ after he has risen from the dead, talking to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. I absolutely love this story, and that's what we're going to do today, and that's from verses 13 through 35 in Luke, and that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. So, Without much further ado, let's pray and get started. Heavenly Father, as always, your Holy Spirit guide, lead, and teach. And we just listen. And just want to pray also for all those events going on in the back. Just be with all the kids, all the program practice, all the classrooms. And thank you for those servants, Lord, in your name. Amen. Luke 24, starting in verse 13 now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So here we have them walking. And according to the Bible, verse 14, they're talking about these things. Verse 15, they're reasoning. They're conversing with each other. And guess what? They can't figure it out. They can't figure out what's going on. Are you that type of person? You think about it, you reason about it, you converse about it, but yet you can't figure it out. Until you bring Jesus in the mix of it, verse 17, you won't be able to figure things out. I know people that make the classic lists. They say, we need to think about this, we need to chew about this. No, it doesn't mean anything until you bring Christ into it. I've seen people out here at church, myself included, make huge life choices. Changing jobs, marrying, uh, selling a house, buying a house. And they make these decisions based on their own wisdom and intellect. After what? Talking, conversing, and reasoning with themselves, with others. That's a dangerous place to be. I've come to this conclusion. The most dangerous person I can talk to in this world is myself. When I talk to myself, I agree with everything I say. I think I'm brilliant. I think I'm funny. I think I'm great. So I have these conversations with myself... And guess what happens? It usually doesn't go good. If you want a further study on this, it's kind of interesting. There's a guy by the name of Jeroboam in 1 Kings 12. And Jeroboam in 1 Kings 12, what happened is this. After Solomon died, the kingdom was divided into two kingdoms. You had the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, then you had the northern tribes. Well, Jeroboam was king of the northern tribes. The problem was he didn't have Jerusalem. So all of his people went down to Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. That's where the sacrifices were happening. So Jeroboam came up with this great idea to basically start his own religion. They would start their own sacrifices up north. According to the Bible, they would make anybody a priest. You didn't have to be a Levite. Anybody could be a priest. Where did Jeroboam come up with these great ideas? The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 12, he came up with these great ideas by talking within his own heart. When you talk to yourself, everything makes perfect sense everybody else is completely wrong and you're completely right there's a danger in that so I'm the most dangerous person to talk to is me you know who the second most dangerous person to talk to in my life is? my wife now, I'm not picking on her, don't take it that way because this is why we've known each other for about 20 years there's no filter in what's being said so what happens is and you guys do this You come home from work and you're frustrated about something at work. You're frustrated with the person. You come home to your spouse. Your spouse says how the day go. Oh man, you won't believe what he did today. And all of a sudden you start speaking about what he did today. And you start saying things that aren't very Christ-like. But no one else heard him except your spouse. So it's really okay. And what happens is sometimes those people we're closest to, we have no filter with. And I've heard people say this before. Oh, I love them because I can say anything I want to them. That's maybe not good. Because what happens when we have these conversations, we start saying things we shouldn't be saying. We start venting and complaining, and sometimes acting unchristlike like where we shouldn't be, but we think it's okay. Because this is our wife, our husband, our loved one, etc. I tell you, if you want a good, godly, productive, encouraging conversation, verse 17, make sure you include Jesus in it. When you include Jesus in your conversations, things just go better. If you don't include Jesus, you have a conversation, you have reasoning, you have talking that will get you nowhere. It's based on the wisdom of man. Always bring Christ into your conversations, be it with yourself, be it with others, and let the Lord guide and direct that conversation. What happens now? Let's see, verse 18. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. What you have in verses really uh, 18 through 24 is a wonderful recap of everything we've talked about. Problem is, with human intellect, they're just completely confused. Yes, they got the facts basically right. Yep, they got the information right. But guess what? They don't have peace of heart about this. They don't have wisdom about this. I've seen people be able to quote the verses to me, but not be able to live the verses. I've seen people be able to explain to me the fundamentals of Christianity, but yet not apply it to their lives. So in verses 18 through 24, they get it, but they don't get it. So what's the response to Christ? Verse 25, then he said to them, Oh foolish ones. Oh foolish ones. Now, every time I read that, I always think Christ is a bit hard. Oh foolish ones. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, and all of the prophets have spoken. Sounds like he's kind of putting them down. If you actually look up this phrase, oh, foolish ones, in the Greek, it's actually kind of a loving term. It really kind of is. Quick story about this. At home, the boys like to take all the cushions off the couch. That's one of the favorite things they can do. And they love to build stuff with these cushions. They just absolutely love it. They'll build forts with them, they'll build houses with them. One of their favorite things to build is what they call launching pads. And it's exactly what it sounds like. So they take these cushions off. They jump off the couch onto a launching pad and then jump to another launching pad and another launching pad. And they end up finally jumping across the whole living room on these launching pads. Now, as with anybody with numerous children, we would never have allowed the first one to do that. Second one, maybe. The third one, sure. Fourth one, we don't care. Fifth one, I didn't even know we had a fifth one to last week. So they're jumping across these things. Life goes on. Problem is, our youngest, who is 18 months, Tyrus. He loves to do what the big buddies do. So he loves to jump off the couch onto the launching pads and try to do it. Problem is, sometimes Tyrus climbs up on the couch and jumps off the launching pad when the cushions are still on the couch. And he'll just go flat on the floor. Hasn't cried yet. He'll just go flat on the floor, get up, and do it again. (laughs) Verse 25. Oh, foolish one. I'm not mad at him. Not angry at him. But come on, Tyrus, little buddy. That's not really smart. It's actually a term of endearment when you look this up. Oh, foolish one. He's 18 months old. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. I tell you, I'm convicted by this verse. Because I, as a pastor, I spend a lot of time talking to people, rebuking, admonishing, correcting. Sometimes I need to realize they may be 40 years old in the flesh, but they're about a two-week-old baby in Christ. Oh, foolish one. It's okay. Let's learn this together. Let's go forward in this together. So Jesus isn't attacking them in verse 25. Because if he was angry at them, he wouldn't keep talking to them. It says in verse 26, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. What he decides to do in verse 27 is he's going to have Bible study. I tell you, of all the teachings in the Bible... I wish I could hear this teaching. I would love to have heard Christ go back to the books of Moses and explain out of the books of Moses who he is. I've taught through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I've taught through the first five books of the Bible and I run across some of those passages and I scratch my head saying, Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? I would love to hear Christ take on Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy and how it pertains to him. I would love that. If you're taking notes, write this verse down. Hebrews 10, verse 7. Hebrews 10, verse 7. It says, all of the book is written about me. Jesus says, all of the book is written about me. When I get into the Old Testament and I start teaching some of those kind of funky books in the Old Testament, I always try to look at them through the lens of Jesus. A few years ago, we did a teaching through Leviticus and we talked about the different sacrifices. If you just study out the sacrifices of Leviticus, it's boring, it's bloody, and you get nothing out of it. But when you study out the sacrifices of Jesus through the lens of Jesus himself, wow, you start seeing something. When you study out the temple and you start realizing all the dimensions and make it out of this wood and this gold and do this, okay, that's not exciting. But when you start looking at the temple through the lens of Jesus, Jesus is in the temple. Jesus is the temple. It's an amazing study. So Christ is there in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he decides in verse 27, I'm going to teach them about me through that. Now imagine today, someone came up to you and said, tell me about Jesus. I doubt the first books we go to are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. But that's where Christ went. Turn, if you will, with me to 2 Timothy, please. 2 Timothy 2. Keep your hand here in Luke 24. We're coming right back. But this is an important verse. Verse to know and understand 2 Timothy. Most people believe that 2 Timothy is Paul's final epistle that he wrote, his swan song. He wrote it to Timothy. Paul is at the end of his life. If you look in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul's main point again and again and again is stick to the word of God. That's what he keeps telling Timothy. Stick to the word of God. I think he sums it up perfectly in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself, a proof to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He tells Timothy, "Know your Bible, be able to divide your Bible, understand your Bible, and be diligent in that. Let me ask you this: If someone came up to you and said, "Can you explain to me what it means to be a Christian, can you, can you answer that? And I don't say that to pick. I'm really asking. If someone came up to you and said, "How can I be saved?" Can we answer these fundamental questions of being a Christian? Do we know the word of God to be able to diligently present ourselves to God, a worker? I'm not ashamed of what I know because I'm studying the Bible and learning and growing in it. What happens when you learn and study and grow in the scriptures? Jump back to Luke 24. Jump ahead with me, if you will, to verse 32. Luke 24, verse 32. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Do you want your heart to burn for the Lord? Get in the word. See, now here's the problem. If we would ask Christians, What makes your heart burn for the Lord? Some would say worship. Worship's great. third of the service we do out here is worship. We see the importance of worship. Some would say, no, it's Fellowship. Getting together with other believers encourages me and grows me. I think fellowship is important. That's why we have prayer times and Bible studies and fellowship opportunities. Some would say prayer. Just being on my knees before the Lord. Prayer is wonderful. That's why we have prayer groups. Some of you would say service. And that's why we give service opportunities. Worship, fellowship, service, prayer. Those are all important. But what is going to make your heart burn more of the Lord? It's being in the Word. That's what it is. Look at verse 32 one more time. Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us. When you spend time with Jesus in the Word, your heart burns for more of Him. It just will. I have seen it in my life. If I get out of my time in the Word, it's really easy to stay out of my time in the Word. I mean, it's really easy. Start missing a little bit here and there, I can go days. But yet, when I'm in it, I'm excited to see what God has to say the next day. Now, let's just be honest. Why don't we get into the Word? We have lots of reasons. I don't have time. That's really just an excuse. There's always time. I don't get anything out of it. I gotta be honest, there's some passages I don't get anything out of. I find it boring. Some of the stuff I find boring as well, too. So what happens is we sometimes stay out of it. I read it, I study it, I don't get anything out of it. So I do what Pastor James says. I go, I'm gonna start getting up tomorrow. I get up, I read, I read, and nothing. There's no burning there's nothing there's boredom let me tell you about this when you make yourself available to the word God will use it God will bless it this week and I'll just give you a couple examples got up Wednesday did devotions it's exactly what I needed to hear I cannot tell you enough it was exactly what I needed to hear got up Thursday I was struggling with something that devotion was exactly what I was struggling with got up Friday and guess what happened got nothing out of it absolutely nothing Read it. Reread it again. Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Next day, Saturday, I repeated that devotion to I don't know how many people. The devotion on Friday wasn't for me. The devotion on Friday was to prepare me for what I was going to be doing on Saturday. See, it's too often we get into the Word and say, Lord, speak to me. And He does. But sometimes He's speaking something to you for you to store in your memory breaks to pull out later to somebody else. Thursday was, excuse me, Wednesday was for me. Thursday was for me. Friday, was for other people, and he chose to use me as a vessel through that. It's just being open. But still, what about the times you just don't get it? I mean, I read it. I don't understand it. I don't follow it. I don't get it. I'm gonna. Do, we got these on the back table. And this is one of the greatest things here. It's called How to Read Your Bible. How to Read Your Bible. I told the 830 service this. If you love this, I wrote it. If you don't love it, a guy by the name of John Corson wrote it. So... I'm not going to read this to you. I'm just going to share a couple things here. Because this is what happens. In a time like this, we tell people, Read the Bible. None of you here are surprised by me saying, Read the Bible. You've tried it before. Once again, you don't get anything out of it. You don't understand it. You find it boring. He's just got a couple quick points here. And I just want to share these. And I'll let you take one of these home. And if we run out on the back, we can always make more copies. First thing he says when it comes to reading and studying the Bible, he goes, Read consistently. Read consistently. He goes from cover to cover. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, read the Bible consistently. Don't worry about those things you don't understand. If you're reading through the Bible, you will come across some things which confuse you initially. But there will also be a bunch of things that will jump out at you. Important things for you to do. Essential things for you to know. Consistently. Being in the Word consistently. You make that a daily thing. And I cannot stress this to you enough. It's not homework. It's not a have to. Guess what? If you get up tomorrow and spend time in prayer in the world, God loves you unconditionally. If you get up tomorrow and you don't spend time in prayer in the world, God loves you unconditionally. It's not homework. I choose to. This is something I consistently choose to do because I see the value of it. I want my heart to burn for the things of the Lord. So I'm in it consistently. Next thing. Read expectantly. I like this. Read expectantly. What does it mean to read with expectancy? I believe it means you come to your devotions, to Bible studies, to church, with pencil and paper in hand, ready to take note of that which the Lord would speak to you. You trust that he's going to say something. When I study and I read at home, I take notes. I'm not an auditory learner. If I have to sit and listen, I get nothing out of it. i got to underline, i got to write. As I come across a passage that hits me, I will stop what I'm doing, and I will write that passage out by hand. If you come to my house and my fridge, I have verses written out. Because that's what I need to study and learn. I read it expectantly. I trust the Lord's going to say something. Real quick, I'm being expectant about this. I've shared this story with you before. I remember the first time we had a staff meeting out here at church. I was so excited. First time we had all of us together as the staff. So here we are. It's me. It's Pastor Rich. It's Tony. It's Nancy. This was a few years ago. And we were starting to meet on Tuesdays. And so we sat down for this staff meeting. We are in my office. And we start out with prayer. And I look up. And I see Tony and Nancy. Both have a pad with a pencil in their hand. Why do they have a pad and pencil? They were expecting something to have to write down to take notes. There was an expectancy of something was going to come out of this meeting. Now that intimidated me. Now all of a sudden, we had to have it worthwhile. And I said, well, Nancy and Tony... Okay, I understand. I look over at Rich. Rich has a piece of paper and pen. Do you know Rich Betts? Rich Betts came with the idea that he was going to take notes. That's mind-blowing. That Rich, he came with an expectancy, and it really hit me, that's exactly what the Lord expects out of me. When I sit down with him, I'm saying, I value this time in the Word, and I come with pen and paper to say, Lord, speak to me. And I will write it out. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is that they required in the law, as a king in the Old Testament, you were required to hand write out a copy of the law, your own personal copy. Why? Because there was an expectancy of you as the king would know, read, and understand it. So if you're coming into time with the Lord, come with paper, come with pen, whatever you need to do to take notes, I don't know what it is, take notes. Expect the Lord to speak. Next one, read conversationally. Read conversationally. I like this. This is the way it's supposed to be. This idea of when God is speaking, he's speaking to us. This is a conversation. It goes both ways. As I'm reading, I expect the Lord to speak to me. I expect Him to say something. And that's what we try to do. And I appreciate this. I appreciate what the Lord does. I love what, I, what He says right here. He talks about this idea of reading. And this idea of reading what the Lord has to say. He goes, I have found this to be such a key for me. As I read the word, I pray. I read a sentence or two and I stop. And I talk it over with the Lord. There's been times where I've gotten into a Bible study or devotion, and it's a great chapter, I get two, three verses into it, I'm just done. It's not done because it's over, because that's what I needed to hear. And I will chew on those two, three verses. I will meditate on those verses, as the Bible says. Lord, what are you trying to tell me? See, if you go in with the mindset of homework, you get there and you look at your daily reading, or your devotional, or whatever you're studying through, and you say, oh good, it's only ten verses today, I've got a big day. I'm glad I can get it done. If it's conversational, it's like, Lord, I don't want this to end. I want to keep talking to you. I want to keep talking to you. Next one. Last one. Read obediently. Read obediently. To those who say, I just don't get anything out of Bible study or morning devotions, my question is this. Have you done the last thing God told you to do? After all, why should God give us more information and more instruction and more input If we have not been obedient to what he's already brought to our attention. How true is that? If God tells you to do step A and you don't like step A so you want to skip step A and go to step B. God says no we're going to stay at step A for a while. I've noticed when I struggle with things. Let's say it's my temper. Every devotional is about anger. So after a while I start reading it. And it's like I already read this verse a couple of days ago on anger. Yeah God says you haven't passed the test yet. Let's go over it again and again. And again, if you find yourself dry, spiritually, you find yourself burdened by being in the Word, it's boring, I don't get it, I don't understand it, I encourage you, take home one of those things, that are on the back table, and start reading the Bible that way. Obediently, conversationally. Read it expectantly. Read it consistently. Because what happens when you do those things? Verse 32, your heart burns within you. Because you have more time with the Lord. That's what it comes down to. Verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. How do you really know who Jesus is? By spending time with him. Dining with him. Being with him. Too often we treat our relationship with Christ as a Sunday morning from 10 to 11.30. There is a daily time of growing and being with the Lord. And as you spend time with Him, verse 31, your eyes are opened. You get Him. You get who He is. And not only with time with the Lord, I also believe this in the body of Christ. One of the things that we like to do out here at church is we like to try to go out with people and grab a bite with them. Now, as my family has grown numerically, and as the church has grown numerically, it gets harder to do... So sometimes Pastor Rich does or somebody else from church will invite somebody out because we feel that's a way to really get a chance to know somebody is to sit down and break bread together. That's how you get to know it. How did they know who Jesus was? Was it the teaching in verse 27? No, it was when they sat down with him face to face and broke bread. There's something about fellowship. There's something about being part of the body and the encouragement of that it blesses you. Putting this all together, we get to verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? I cannot stress that verse to you enough. If you are feeling dry spiritually, you're feeling empty spiritually, if you're kind of feeling like you're just stuck in this rut, is your heart burning to be with the Lord, to be in the word. If it's not, I encourage you to start. Because as you start, that passion and that desire grows. Trust me. It does. It does. There are struggles in my life and seasons in my life where I'm not in the Word as much as I should be. And once I get back in it, my first thought is why didn't I do this more often? Why haven't I done this on a regular basis? Verse 33 So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told him about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them and the breaking of bread. What is the result of knowing Christ personally and having your heart burn within you for Him? The result is what? Verse 33. You have to go tell people about it. That is one sign of a healthy sheep. As a healthy sheep of the Lord, you want to go have more healthy sheep. One sign of you knowing Jesus personally is you want to go tell people about Him. I was texting back and forth with somebody this week, and they said a phrase that really hit me. They said how they wanted to introduce their family to their best friend, Jesus. I thought, how neat is that? I want to introduce their family to their best friend, Jesus. I love that. When you know Christ and your heart burns within Him, for Him, you just want to tell people about Him. Now, why don't we tell people about the Lord? There's lots of obstacles did you catch this? Put this all together. This is important about knowing all how these verses come together. Verse 33, they're going to go back to Jerusalem. Now we already know from verse 13 that that was seven miles away. They've already traveled this today. And we already know here from looking at uh, verse 29 that it's evening and the day is far spent. Now let's make a 21st century version of this story. Oh, man, that was Jesus. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat supper and go to bed. And then tomorrow morning when I get up, once I get some stuff done around the house, I'm going to go tell people about Jesus. These guys did it right then. They were willing to travel the seven miles back to Jerusalem. They were willing to go. I don't know if they got a chance to eat or not. It would kind of freak me out in the middle of food if someone disappeared, so I doubt they finished their supper. So they're traveling seven miles back to Jerusalem. They probably didn't eat, and they're going right back to where they were. And there was not a single obstacle to it. Why? Why? Because they were excited about Jesus. Now just think about that for a second. I'm excited about the Lord, but I want the Lord to fit into the excitement of my life and my time frame. Lord, I'm really excited now. So please bring somebody into my life right now. Now tomorrow it's a busy day. So if you could wait and just... I'm so excited about you, Lord. But could you just wait till Tuesday? Because Tuesday I can be more excited about you. It doesn't work that way. I have come to the conclusion, and I think I shared this with you last week, the times I'm most ready to serve, generally I don't get a chance to serve. The times where I'm least ready to serve, that's the time where God says do it. These guys, after traveling seven miles, it's evening, maybe didn't eat, they're so pumped about Christ, they're going right back to Jerusalem. Because they have to tell people about Him. Boy, Lord, give us that excitement. To tell people about you. Think about that. Put this all together. Lord, give us the excitement to have our heart burn within us for your word, to know you personally. Give us that excitement to tell people about you. Because too often we're way back at the beginning of our study in verses 13 through 16, talking amongst ourselves, reasoning, conversing, whatever, and we're really just confused. We need to include Jesus in our conversations. We need to allow his word to burn within us and excite us. And then we need to take that excitement and go spread that to other people. That is what it means to truly be out there and living the life. Their eyes are open to who Christ is. And when their eyes are opened, wow, they can't stop. They can't stop in any way whatsoever. Marvin, come forward here for the final song. We're going to have to stop a little early today because verse 36, it changes direction a little bit. And we can't do the